Hello, and welcome to this week's The Proteomics Show. This is The Oregon Trail, season three of a special limited series sponsored by US Hupo. Hi, I'm Ben Osborne. I'm here with Dr. Benjamin Neely, and this episode features the Dr. Neil Kelleher, who is a glass professor of life sciences at Northwestern University. Yeah, we didn't talk about cowboy hats, but we did talk about top-down proteomics, obviously, and this huge vision of the future. It was really fun, so enjoy. All right, hello, and welcome, Neil. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, uh, Brothers Ben, and great to be here. <laughs> that's that's what we call ourselves, actually. That's the new show, the Brothers Ben. Um, so first off, Happy New Year. Um, I know these come out like at a much later date, but it's 2024, so Happy New Year. Cheers. And, yeah, and okay, so I'm going to be super ignorant. Um, first off, where where are you? Like, I, we're going to get into like your actual like where are you? But are you're somewhere? Are you somewhere cold right now? Uh, absolutely. Well, historically, Chicago has been cold. So, but I'm in Chicago. the um, city of Evanston. Also goes by Heavenston, just north of Chicago, and um, we like it up here on what's called the North Shore. But it's um yeah okay, it's under freezing. You got me. <laughs> it, okay, so it's cold. <laughs> and and I should also say that you are arguably the most fun person in proteomics. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get to get into that, but the reason that we're talking to you is because, um, you know, this is for us Hupo Portland and they, we, we get to talk to some of the invited speakers, but I think you won an award. The right? Donald F hunt, uh, distinguished yeah. country. Yeah. It's an honor with to, you know, Don's incredible run, right. Insert, you know, massive impact description here. Cool. And so, and so we normally ask people, you know, do you know what you're going to talk about? And if you do, do you want to talk about that just a little bit and then kind of like about what you actually do? So if you know what you're going to be talking about, like not on the plane to, to Portland. <laughs> well, those who know me, um, yes, that I, uh, enjoy science and, um, back of the napkin science is just kind of what hooked me on science. So, um, but if you know me, you know that's true. And you also know what's basically going to come out of my mouth. Um, and that's justification, use cases, success cases, arguing for a $3 billion expenditure to define the human proteome in the composition of proteins expressed from the 20,000 human genes. And I love it. That is what I'll talk about. But you know, in language, you know, there's many different ways to approach that massive topic. And some of it, um, people find um, halting or startling to be able to say that we have a genome project analog to accomplish. And, and what might it look like? Why would we do it? And how long would it take? Okay. So I, I, I frequently reference a, a paper that your, your name is, is on where the, how many human proteoforms are there, right? It's, do you have a, a, a solid number now? Is, is this where this, this, the cost is generated from? Yes. So it tends to split people into two different swim lanes. This conversation is, um, it is complicated. But people that are not practitioners of proteomics, rather consumers of proteomics and its information, this is the target audience because these are include the stakeholders of who would fund such a project. And so for them, you, one must disconnect from the oh, 
over the napkin, back in the napkin discussions that we as experts in the field would have about that question. Um, but, you know, so one threshold. So it's a question of investment and depth. If we got everybody past the justification for the project and that absolute molecular specificity is absolute and it is fundamental and foundational for all of the future of protein level biology. And that's why the project needs to get done because all the attendant uh, benefits would accrue and descriptions of those we can get into. But I need to address your question, um, Ben, which is, you know, how many proteiforms are there? So let me, let me go into the first or most cursory version of the answer, which is that in 2012, there was this uh, tree that fell in the woods. And in that paper, uh, uh, it was thrown out that 250,000 proteiforms what we now call level one proteiforms or the highest quality proteiforms in each type of cell in the human body and each body fluid. That, that would be the lowest quality bar that I think one should set or one could set because obviously there's more proteiforms than that in the average cell. But that sets a equivalency with the... Uh, genome coverage metric. You know, remember when the genome project was just completed in around 2000, 2002, the, the depth of coverage was four to five X. That, that means that every base on average was sequenced four times. For proteiform determination and sequencing proteiforms, um, the equivalent of that we could get into, but, but you, your question is more high level than that, which is just how many proteiforms are there? That's different. I'm spinning it into a question of depth and how many me should we measure? How many can we measure? Now, many people have a different answer, which is there are a million, a million proteiforms from, let's say, around 10,000 expressed genes. You know, about half the genomes expressed in the protein, blah, blah, blah. So um, that allows room for 25 proteiforms on average for a given gene. Now, some, that, that, that some genes are expressed and have three proteiforms. Some genes are expressed and, like histone H3, have over thousands, you know, low thousands of proteiforms. So, so that's the sort of mashup of, of how many proteiforms are there. And, and if you set those limits, 250,000 proteiforms per cell times 4,000 cell types, that's the minimum type of project for a cell-based human proteiform project. And that would be $1.3 billion if we get a 100x jump in, in the speed and cost of proteiform sequencing. So I just threw out three very complicated projects or uh, aspects of the project. But there you go. I mean, I did I'm trying to answer the question. And then yeah, no, it's good. And, and I like this breakdown of, you know, the, well, how many proteiforms matter? And, and if you don't mind just back, backing up, because I don't think we've done a lot of top-down on the show, um, wh where is the modern definition of a proteoform? Right. A prote prote right let's back up. So bottom-up and top-down proteomics are terms that um, loosely uh, bottom-up defines 
proteins, the concept of a protein is, is measured by a surrogate, either a small peptide by mass spec or other methods, um, or epitopes by antibodies or affinity reagents. And th that, that is sensing the expression of a protein off of a gene. Proteiform measurements is a totally different uh, thing. It's apples and oranges. Proteiform is the exact chemical, the exact empirical formula. You can write down an exact form that has exact number of atoms with those being sequenced and positioned um, absolutely. That is a level one quality proteiform as, as thrown out by this uh, consortium, this proteiform alliance we've created with now 500 members or so. And, and growing, um, about 90 early career researchers in that group. And they, that, that is, um, a level one is like a perfect proteiform because it's not always easy to say, oh, the phosphorylation's right on that serine, not that serine. But it is an exact form of an expressed uh, protein that is expressed at enough levels for you to see it. That's a proteiform. Okay, so so uh, just just for, for for my layman's purposes, if if you've got just a completely unmodified histone exactly the way Uniprot has it laid out, that's proteoform. That's one proteoform, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's if it's acetylated on the nineteenth residue versus it's acetylated on the twenty fourth residue, is that three proteoforms? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah just, I want to make sure that clarity. Yeah, yep. have that level one is site-specific information all day long. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and so something I, I just interject, like so we've we've had a weird unintentional thread going on with our guests lately, where we've had people looking at PPIs, looking at protein confirmations, looking at spatial localization, not just like single cell, but like you know actually doing like micro dissection. And there's been a, this thread of like where the protein is or its confirmation or it's like, what is its movement? And I mean, how, so is that part of proteoform too? Like, where is it in time and space? Where is it in its interaction status? Because like we were talking about like how transferrin loads up iron. Um, and, you know, that's a different, like a half loaded transferrin is different than a fully loaded. Like how, how deep does this... Because it's not just the atoms and the PTMs. Sorry, not atoms and PTMs, but it's not just the residues right. and the PTM. Right. So, no, like, it, yeah, yeah, so, so it, 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 no, and so this is a great question, Ben. This is so important to get straight because people even bring in like the concepts of confirmation and mm -hmm. uh, membership in protein complexes, which can be regulated by PTMs or not. It depends on what evolved over 550 million years in our biology. Um, so, no, if the proteiform is a compositional proteomics term only. Okay. It is only meant to say, we need to sequence the bloody proteome. Mm -hmm. we, you know, because if we don't, we're just left to infer, um, you know, what is actually happening at the molecular level. So, at some point in time, proteiform biology emerged, and it emerged because it's an escape from the central dogma. It doesn't require protein formation to come from a gene to respond to a stimulus. This allowed us to escape, and I'm throwing out 500 million, 550 million years ago, the, the Cambrian explosion, 
Precambrian explosion where we became multicellular and we moved from small microorganisms. Um, I'm leaving out fungi, but hey, it was 500 million years ago. So uh, um, <laughs> we can leave a few things out. Right. So, but PTMs allowed, and that, that encompasses a whole array of different things. And that is where competitive fitness was enhanced, Darwinian evolution enacted. And this is what governs a lot of our biology to an unknown degree. And until and unless we sequence the, the compositional proteome, and that is to say the proteiforms are asserted, then that's going to be dark matter. And I'll go further to say, by doing that, we will find the PTMs and isoforms that matter. We will also, last step, logic step, that we will be able to invigorate, accelerate, enhance all the other technologies for a single cell, uh, spatial biology, and protein complexes, because we will have scaled the tech a hundredfold. We already can see that spatial biology and single cell proteform information is attainable. That's even before we're talking about major resource allocation. So, so that's the vision of this project is to define the compositional proteiforms. And that's to a reasonable extent that is not sequenced, you know, boil the ocean that is determined 50 or in the more expensive version of the project, a hundred million unique proteiforms, level one, please, assert those, and the technologies, just like in the Genome Project, will emerge to do that in a cost-effective manner, and then all the attendant benefits downstream, which include all, of, you know, biological promise, which, you know, regenerative medicine, early detection of all human disease, control and understanding of biological systems, including us, and living to 120 years old, healthy, that's what I'd like to see. Basically. <laughs> yeah, so just a little bit. That, that's a key question because everyone said, oh, you know, they'll, they'll criticize the, the project before even, you know, ha having understood its scope. And, and so are you talking like, so is this just a lab full of like a building full of 2D gels or are we like doing like soft landings onto like EM grids? Like what? Yeah. what's... What is this thing that's a great question. so the tech right once you get past <laughs> make it be yeah gels. Go ahead, ben. do it no go ahead um, <laughs> no I, I want it to be 2d gels not really yeah, hey <laughs> it's it's whatever technologies um you, you, you know uh can compete and win the bake-off okay right because uh, and, and there's a lot of new players in the space uh single molecule proteform sequencing three different platforms for that all pretty decently invested in um Mass spec, of course, is how you, it's the only way you really can discover proteiforms. So in the consortium and in this 2021 paper in Science Advances, we laid out this, this pivot. And, and, and our field breaks down into two other swim lanes where those, there are those people who really dislike an analogy to the Human Genome Project and those who really embrace it. And... I'm in the latter camp, and in this way, I, I think, you know, the analogy holds it to a certain level, um, and then it disintegrates, but, but there's a lot of lessons out of the Genome Project, and one of them was its central role was to determine the first draft high-resolution gene reference genome, okay? So you do that, you have disruption 
less than a decade later. You have incredible technological growth. In fact, that was part of the NHGRI's mission, the National Human Genome Research Institute, now a $600 million a year um, incredible program for genomics. And that's what will happen is you, you, if you had those, say, 50 million proteiforms, everybody will benefit from that knowledge. Bottom up, mass spectrometry can infer more information out of uh, uh, next-gen single molecule sequencers can infer far more, whether they're using nanopores, single molecule Edmund, or single molecule antibody-based platforms. Yeah, so, so I know the moonshot thing is kind of overused, but but you know that's what this sounds like, right? That if you you have this this finite goal that you get to, there's all sorts of technologies trickling out, which is a big ask. I mean, I know you know, so 1.3 billion to three billion dollars over 10 years, okay? That what I just said is 130 million a year baseline, up to 300 million a year, and of course that doesn't happen overnight. There's pilot and stages and milestones, but, but that is exactly what this is. And I think people are coming around to it being valuable in a lot of different ways. Um, so it stands in the wind as, you know, those winds shift around, but it, you know, it's been kicking around for a decade. There are now, uh, dozens of great papers that really show the biological value is there. It started in microbes in three labs in France. Most people don't know this, this literature, but those in the proteiform community do because we, we swim in this different lane from a lot of the mainstream bottom-up proteomics, which, which you know, is incredible. And, you know, and covering, you know, your protein-protein interactions wouldn't be known without it. You know, all sorts of molecular understandings have arisen from that. Um, maybe clinical uh, use of proteiforms is, is a strong motivator um, that we can talk about. That's, that's a more complicated experiment. But in bacterial systems, it, about 10 to 7 years ago, there are these three great papers that really show in bacterial systems that you find the PTMs that matter. And you do that by proteiform mapping. And there's it, that's why I talk about it in evolutionary biology terms because that's the that's how it evolved is, and and when you do proteform analysis, there's there's something called the uh, I call it the wheel of enlightenment as a joke, but it it it's six points along a wheel, and it's published in 2022 in MCP that there's this wheel. One of the points on the wheel is stoichiometry. That by default, because of the method. Um, you determine, when you determine PTM, when you determine a proteform, you know the exact isoform, any polymorphisms or mutations, and the stoichiometry of PTMs that are present. So that means we have a hard time for 1% or below. Um, on histones, we can get down to 0.01%, but that, that's because they're histones. But, but anything in that high stoichiometry, you know, 5%, that, they're just staring at you. <laughs> Whereas if you digest or you use epitope mapping, you, 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 you miss the dominant forms that are there. Okay. I have a couple, man, I think we can talk about this all day, but I, mm, I'm torn on questions, but the big one for Keep me coming. is. Keep them coming. Okay. Where, where do you, where, where do you go to ask 
for a one for a three billion dollar project. Mm-hmm. Foundations <laughs> and federal governments. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I I'm just trying. I, I don't fully understand how the grant stuff works because I'm wildly unsuccessful at it. Um, is there just a point where you're like, hey, I'm Neil Kelleher. I want to give this bitch, right? Well, how, how do you I, get an I, audience? I've De- definitely that won't work <laughs> um, <laughs> but but if you form a consortium so, yeah. so keep keep in mind um this this goes back probably 15 i mean yeah i've been saying this, some of these things for 20 years and it it starts off as a joke or a punchline um to a bad joke and but but it has a real element of clarity and um over time, I think um, people come around to it, whether, and I think people outside the field are more um, apt to at least listen, to build awareness, and then go due diligence afterwards. And, and I think that is a, is a powerful thing. So the consortium evolved out of a belief that there needs to be more organization and community building. And, and the consortium has done incredible things under the CEO, Paul Danis. This is his job to go out and to advocate for this. And so what you do is you start on the front door and on a hotel, you go in the lobby, you, you talk to the uh, major D or the uh, concierge and you start there and you say, Hey, um, you know, can I, can I talk to your boss? And then you talk to the boss's boss and you, you try to get those meetings. So this has all been climbing and you eventually get, get up to the top levels where we are now. And there's awareness. You, you got to build awareness and then there's belief and then there's advocacy, then there's action. And we're at the, the, you know, we're, when you come across a new leader of an agency or a new agency like ARBA H, you, you, you know, and it's leader Renee was or, um, the leaders of the NSF, um, at the division level, yeah, OSTP. Yeah. um, You're, you're there. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are. Right. And so the least there's an awareness and we're working on belief. And, um, I gotta say other governments, other actors coming in and clearly saying, you know, this project is going to get done. That that's always a, a potent thing, which, um, you know, I think the Pi hub, project in China is um, clearly um, interested in in moving the project forward at some pace. And, and for, for some context, how, how much did the genome project cost? Well, estimates range somewhere in the mid 3.5 billion. You, some people say four, some people 3.1. Um, it's it's kind of, um, yeah. but, but I'd say it's, it's south of 4 billion and it yeah. was slightly around 10 years, if you say 2002 was the end. And it was this incredible moment in the history of our species where we could build technologies that match the scale of the solution with the scale of our biology. And when that happens, we can make massive leaps in our understanding and utility of the data streams, which, um, you know, if I had a cancer right now, which I... I hope I don't ever, uh, but if I did, I would get its genome sequenced. It's pretty amazing that just in our half of our lifetimes that that happened. Well, and, yes. Yeah, we yeah, can absolutely. regularize, domesticate, sequence the human proteome. It can be done. 
No, it's, yeah, that's it's great. And it sounds like a bargain. I mean, throwing inflation and everything. Well, what we've got now, the gen- genome project for that cost, right? Versus, yeah. Yeah, and it's well, I mean, people disagree about that. And people, you know, our field, I, I would say that, that the, one of the biggest things that I'm told when I try to advocate for this is that it's consensus. If It's the consensus is the thing that, you know, if you don't know the, you know, this conversation, honestly, it, it takes probably an hour to get it straight about, okay, what is Proteform? What are you, what are you actually talking about? What's the scope of the product? That, that actually is another whole hour sure. to get it really crystal clear. And that's for an expert. And then if you go to the leader of an agency who is trained as a quantum physical chemist or a, you know, um, skin biologist or what have you, it, 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 they have to have consensus from experts. And we, we do have um, now 65 uh, co-signatories to the project, including luminaries from business and science and the business of science, like Robert Langer has signed on. And um, that means wow. Sear is a big supporter of the consortium. Uh, so, the, the, you know, getting time in front like he heard this for 15 minutes and he's like and you this isn't already moving why is this not moving <laughs> um so i think luminaries really are, are critical to to um get this get this across the finish line wow okay yeah no i'm gonna cut off questions here we've got to pivot then we are- <laughs> yeah 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 so we always so this this is part where we always kind of ask like you know how did you get where you are and you can go back as far as you you know it could be like i was in summer camp and this counselor said neil top down it sucks you should do it <laughs> like so yeah so how did how did you go from wherever you came from to kind of like what you're doing now to try to do this like big stuff right as far back as you want yeah well so I, when i was 15 um, I was a wee lad and, uh, um, I'm still quite, quite a wee lad, but, uh, um, I worked for at a company in, um, between Seattle and Tacoma called Warehouser and Warehouser was a paper company. Like with a Z? Uh, where, where, W E. Sorry. Sounds, e- sounds fun. Oh, Hauser, Hauser with, it's German. Where, uh, okay. Where, Hauser, uh, sorry. Hauser. <laughs> it means houses on the end of it. H A U S E R. Weyer, okay. Weyerhaeuser. And uh, yeah, it's a paper company in the Pacific Northwest. And <clears throat> I got an internship there when I was in high school for like, you know, half a summer or something. And it wasn't far from my house. And I would show up in this analytical lab and this guy said, yeah, hey, um, <clears throat> you know, this chemist said, you know, he played a trick on me, basically. He said he, he didn't know what to do with me. My 15-year-old kid doesn't know his ass from his elbow. Thinks he thinks he likes molecules. What are they? Um, and he he says, yeah. <clears throat> he takes literally a pie tin, like one of those where you get the rice and it's um, <clears throat> or a pie tin, and he put some elemental sulfur in this tin. It's some yellow substance, and he hands it to me and says, yeah, we found this yellow substance in our rail cars from the company. And it's really important that we understand, we, we figure out what this substance is. <laughs> so, so I just spent the next like two months, like, you know, and it, it landed in some late August attempt to make a KBR pellet and take an IR spectrum, which some, <clears throat> some employee there had pity on me and helped me do. 
and we looked it up in this database that it was sulfur. It, that, that's it. I was hooked, man. That's, that's, and I guess I was hooked on measurement, the technology, the boxes. I, I rebuilt my car's engine, 1970 Celica the next summer. And you know, that maybe explains why I ended up in mass spec. Oh, and then I met Fred McLafferty, um, RIP Fred, man. He was another Titan. Um, and you may know side, sidebar that Fred and Don got together to ma- invent electrospray combined with FT ICR mass spectrometry in 1991. And, um, I met Fred in Germany in 1992, um, while I was on a Fulbright grant. And the next thing I know, I'm joining Fred's lab to sequence the human genome with mass spec and char- some guy named Charlie Cantor. Um, we were committed to it. We were going to do it <laughs> 10 nucleotides at a time. Um, <laughs> that never happened, but Sequinome did a company that Charlie Cantor co-founded. <clears throat> um, and, for and I should say, wait, can I interrupt? Yeah, right. Your name has been in a lot of our origin stories. Like, I, I just want to point, like, I wish that we could go back, but we've done what, like 30 of these, your name pops up in them. And, and you, I can tell you're a huge listener, but we've only got like five listeners. But yeah, people like will drop your name, be like, and then <laughs> I was uh, like, who is it that was in, and you know, they were like, and then I, I was sick one day and then I saw John Yates and he's like, you should do this. Um, we've had a bunch of these stories and then they, they mention your name or, or then I overlapped yeah. with Neil. Two, so, so keep, two, yeah. Two, two things, Ben. I, a, I need to listen to this. Podcast Don't. B, uh, <laughs> I'm getting old. Uh, you know, you can see all the gray hairs, and I'm what am I, 53 now? And uh, yeah, I mean, I think being open and invite. Honestly, the vibe in the consortium is that it's Garcia. We we like each other. Yeah. Hmm? It was Garcia. Oh, I think yeah. Garcia mentioned you at one point. I mean, but it, literally, yeah. you've been mentioned multiple times. Okay, so go go back to early 90s Psychonom. I don't want to interrupt. No, your story, okay. I, just, I was just on this riff going. that took us through. Yeah, do it. 92 with Fred, that was an amazing moment. And then got my PhD at, at Fred's lab with, but joint with an enzymologist, um, really great, um, enzyme reaction mechanism guy named Tig Bagley at Cornell, then went to an enzymologist, you know, world renowned Christopher T Walsh, RIP for him as well. I've lost my two advisors, um, hmm. in the past two, you know, year, year and a half. Um, and yeah, both of those were incredible, people and you know i was just on this escalator from there and i you know just don't fall off <laughs> and um yeah went to u of i for 10 years we're mentored by the likes of paul bone john sweedler um in a great chemistry department there a great place to be a young chemist and then i moved you know top down maturing into you know and i really needed to you want to talk about a moonshot how about trying to show the clinical utility of proteform, proteform measurement to, to detect disease early. That, that's a tall order, but that's what drew me to Northwestern and, you know, the big hospital that runs um, adjacent to its medical school. And yeah, and that, that's where I'm at presently. And then they gave me an institute to run about two years ago. And that has the proteomic center as a part of it's it's a chemical biology drug discovery institute oh okay so so back to the the esift like 
was were you guys building the FTs? Yeah. So what happened was, um, I guess it was Evan Williams and John Amster and folks mm-hmm. like that uh, went down to Don Hunt's lab, and he had these these super old quad drivers, uh, power supplies, and that's how Don and Fred. I think it was more more Don and maybe Shabano. It's like, hey, let's um, let's guide the ions through the magnetic mirror into the bore of the magnet so they could do their things. And you had this, you know, massive pressure drop from an atmospheric spray all the way into 10 to the minus nine tour. And that's when I showed up was the, they basically got that to work. And then, oh yeah, this is important. There's this old story from Cornell where um, John Quinn, um, a then graduate student, um, now he's at the magnet lab in Florida, Tallahassee, but John, did this thing where he left the ions, went off for coffee and lunch, came back about an hour later, hit excite and detect for some reason. A spectrum popped up with two and a half orders of magnitude more resolution. Like mm-hmm. there were the isotopes of ubiquitin when it was, you know, 10,000 resolving power. Now it's, you know, and you saw that one of these time domain beat patterns. And, and I, I came floating by, or Fred recruited me not more than a year later. And I started doing, you know, like enzyme. I was just combining enzymology with, with this measurement ability. And yeah, it was incredible. I mean, I, f- I found a sulfur atom. Speaking of sulfur, um, right. there's a sulfur atom at the, at the attached to the C terminus of a protein called Phi G involved in uh, uh, vitamin B1 or, you know, a biotin biosynthesis. Um, and it's this little sulfur that's, it's, so it's not a, it's a thiocarboxylate. It's not the C terminus of the protein as a carboxylate. It's got a C double bond O S. And, um, so again, I came back to sulfur. I guess I just stink is what I'm saying. Cause, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, uh, okay. So you kind of come up like as an analytical chemist and, and I always tell people like, I think top down's the answer, but I think it's also like. Uh, if we say it's really hard, that's an understatement. So, like, wh- yeah. why do you have this tenacity or gumption or or hard headed? Like, were you always like this problem sucks and it's gonna it's like a oh. twenty year horizon? I'm doing that. Like, what? Wh- when did, wh- have you always had this like in your personality, or are you just like, yeah, I, or am I over reading? Yeah, that? I think- because it seems really hard. like I do blood. Blood's hard. I've I like maybe I want to suffer <laughs> some, but like, tell me like, what, why? <laughs> Or did you just think it was there and you just like, it's obvious, I'm going to do it. Well, I think the, it's two It's two sort of core answers, okay. but probably the third one is, yeah, it's in my, per- I mean, I was a wrestler. I like to, um, you know, get beat up <laughs> till I hit college. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, and, but probably two main uh, direct answers. One was Fred. Fred always tried to stay ahead of the mainstream or, you know, the old Wayne Gretzky, uh, um, thought pattern that, you know, skate where the puck's going to be. Um, that was probably Fred. Um, and he had just built this better mousetrap. So I'm like, okay, why is, why is that a bad idea? <laughs> um, and, but the other parts more, I think more what keeps me, yeah. Cause there are a lot of headwinds here. Um, mm-hmm. and someday they'll turn around and blow in our sails, but uh, that, that, <laughs> you know, and when that tipping point comes, it, it, it ain't going to be slow. It's, 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 um, but, the belief that it'll come someday. Yeah, that's tough. It's, it's been a long road, but I was, you know, I'm young, but I'm also, um, found biology. I found like a, like that thiocarboxylate. 
that is now how we understand the mechanism of sulfur insertion into vitamin bios, molybdaterin, vitamin B1, biotin biosynthesis in bacteria. It was a fundamental discovery. And, and that was totally consistent with my answer about finding the PTMs that matter because I did it. I did it not just once. It was three times. It, that was just grad school. And then twice more as a postdoc. So that's the, you know, it's a real belief in a conviction there. And um, there, there are many success cases like that. It's just that it doesn't, it, it doesn't have the kind of resonance. Um, I think those papers and those, that description of that is existing outside of the major um, discussion of, of, of value creation in, in proteomics. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, and I definitely believe, I mean, with you that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredibly valuable. It's just, it's, it's the hardness, right? It, like, you know, we're talking about like making things routine, the routineness, like, I'm like, I want it to be routine, but man, it looks hard. Like keeping the, how do you fly? You know, the, the real flying the elephants, like this is like <laughs> literally yeah. the elephants, like 20 elephants. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, you're right. And, but in the last five years that has moved. So it is now about equal, I'd say the perception of the hardness and implementation, but it's not wrong. I mean, in the past five years, we've, we've really moved the needle and you've got now all vendors coming in with maybe Shimatsu, the exception, um, really in the next one or two years, you'll see more and more vendors coming in with top-down workflows and solutions. And that, um, and, and that's not just biopharma. I think they're sensing that if a tipping point happens and they're not in position that, you know, they're, someone's going to get fired. <laughs> it's getting, cool. I, I believe if I read the tea leaves, that's what I want to see. Um, uh, so I think things like individual ion mass spec, you know, s dealing with single ions, it was always a frontier. And, and um, Mike Sanko and I formed this team in 2017. And by late 2019, we had, we had cracked the problem. And so now you can do single molecule proteform detection, even um, with imaging and single cell proteforms is going to be possible. So that, that, that shows the pot with even a tiny amount of investment, you think about thermos positioning and that, that was a tiny investment piece. And then, you know, we really have a non-incremental advance in the last few years. So, and that it's been commercialized for native mode, not to nature mode. Um, and, um, yeah. So I think, imagine what you could do if, if you brought, if you, you know, like 30, $50 million a year and serious management of that funding. And um, it gets back to your earlier question that, you know, about the bake-off and, and how much would you put into one of three bu bu buckets if you had that money? You, you would put some into, say, addressing the fundamental problems we have in neurodegeneration. So I would put some money there is my personal opinion. I'd put a lot into technology development and then I would get put into a third bucket actually performing the project, you know, starting to build like a factory, um, a proteform factory basically that um, operated, you know, not in an academic mode necessarily, but in a, um, you know, where everything's greased, the trains run on time and, you know, we're not 
we're not starting with a first year graduate student, even though they're great. Yeah. And that's where you would you would work on just knocking out Proteoform, Proteoform, build that library. Yeah. Yeah. And we've done that with five tissues. We've got 11,000 Proteoforms from, you know, GTEx and HubMap tissues. Um, these are NIH common fund initiatives. Um, oh, yeah. You're in BMORE, so you know this. Uh, <laughs> um and, uh, you know, we've got probably a couple hundred thousand proteiforms, maybe about half of them are level one. Um, and, and so we're, you know, we're not quite even 1% of the way. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to keep going, but I think we, we've got to pivot again. Sure. Wait, you're, you're from the. Well, the the Seattle area, right? Oh, br brothers Ben, I have bicoastal disorder. I I, I am from Boston and Seattle. <laughs> mm. Okay. <laughs> I, um. I grew up in Medford till I was ten, and I uh, I never really combed my hair till I was ten. And I took my messy hair and my sneakers, and we moved out of Medford. We went out to Seattle, and all the kids <laughs> made fun of me because I talk funny and I, I <laughs> had messy hair. <laughs> Oh, are, uh, are, are you one of our Portland experts then? Absolutely. I love the Pacific Northwest, you know, uh, best coast is the West coast. And, and we're going to go back out there in March nine to 14 us Hoopo, um, great organization there. I really like the last few years of what us Hoopo has been able to do. And I'm going to, um, take an extra day and go golfing at Bandon Dunes. Okay, but we've been we've been trying to ask like, what's the thing to do? And and I know going out with you is a is a, oh, it's a thing. I have and an so, answer, Ben. Yeah, give it go. Well, you you got to go zoo bombing. <laughs> you uh, like, you got to the zoo. Yeah. What is it? No, it's, sorry, it's not domestic terrorism. Please. Okay. Please no. <laughs> I think it wasn't. But. Not 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 repeat not uh, zoo okay. zoo bombing is a term in Portland that on uh, weekend evenings, usually a Sunday evening, uh, that you take these small bikes. There's a large pile of small bikes outside a pizza place at the base of the tram that takes you up about 800 vertical feet up to the top of, of, a, of a, one of the big hills in Portland where there's a zoo where they keep animals. And then you proceed to take these little bikes and bomb the hill. No, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> like, I mean, are we like we're pretty coherent at this point? This isn't like oh, I remember. Well, that's up to like, the in individual. Atlanta, I, I, it was I, like we waited till two a.m. to like it is, have some it like, is, it's like races. Nine. You get two runs. It's like a ski run. You get two attempts at it, um, and it's like uh, you know nine to eleven p.m. and the and the police sanction this. At least this you, was true. You are not making this up. This is really official sounding. It's it's a thing. Now, I don't know <laughs> if it's still you know in operation. This is um, I can get a hold of my buddy there who works at Schrodinger. Um, but yeah, this is not the cat. This is a zoo, yeah, Zuba. They have a little special okay. sticker that you can. Uh, oh my gosh, this is this is the best. Okay, yeah. Neil. Yes, let's do it. I, I, <laughs> I did. That was that was so much fun. No, we were also going to ask. Um, okay, that's bring that's your helmets and yeah, you limit one drink uh, <laughs> after you're done. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> now, uh, and, and since we're kind of switching, uh, we also like to ask people. You know, like you're obviously really busy, but like, what else are you doing? Like, I mean, I feel like 
I, w- I wish we could talk about other stories, but you obviously have some hobbies. You mentioned golf. You mentioned a podcast. So like, what else are you doing on your spare time? Yeah. Um, well, like when you're not sciencing. I think I have something like eight business cards and that's not eight <laughs> copies of a single, but that is <laughs> stacks of with where you wear eight different hats. Um, so yeah, at some point, but that's just part of the great learning curve, which includes entrepreneurial outlets and, and includes running an institute for the great university of Northwestern. And, um, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I've had, uh, two successful startups, uh, in the sense that they're, um, you know, revenue positive and they're, um, operating with, you know, small crews. These aren't huge companies or drug companies or anything like that, but it's, uh, um, like, um, the other thing that the lab does that's probably not well known is, um, natural products discovery and biosynthesis. So we have about 10 people and a lot of good technology and 20 different natural products that we've discovered, new natural products. And that's, using a combination of genomics and metabolomics. Um, yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. We have probably a hundred papers in that area and uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, and that, and there's two companies around that. One of them has a new herbicide. We found a herbicide that looks like, you know, it could be the next roundup and that's um, micro MGX. So that's one of the five companies that I'm part of. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah, I can pull my <laughs> 80 hours a week anytime I want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um, wow. Uh, this is a big one. Uh, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about this answer, but, uh, you know, the way we've been trying to wrap this up, the season up is, you know, wh- what are you looking forward to the most? Like, what, what gets you the most excited about where Proteomics is going? Wow. Yeah, that is a big one. I mean, of course, the linear, direct linear extrapolation of this conversation is is one thing. And there's signals and signs that, you know, that tipping point could be reached. So that's that's probably number one. Um, um, I would say uh, the diversity of voices in proteomics is another major ex- excitement. So that, that comes with early career voices. We, we, we just had a symposium in Chicago with about 200 folks and 50 online in this. Um, and, and in the early, we had an early career session before the conference and there were 45 in person, 50 online. And I got to tell you the energy that I saw there was just, I, it blew me away. I was like, wow. These they're dedicating a large part of their labs and their careers to proteform systems biology and medicine, and I was like, "Holy crap! That that you know, there's something happening here." So so that that provides little fuel and excitement. Um, also, uh, in, in that group, with a lot of um, women, women and underrepresented groups. Um, uh, people openly gay, and that was part of the discussion, and um, that's exciting. Um, and then also at the conference itself, the symposium, it was in October 3 to 5 in Chicago. Um, 
the, the single molecule sequencers were there. So, and like PacBio, it's PacBio doing coming to a proteomics conference. And so this is Quantum Psi and Nautilus um, and um, Glyphic is another one. Um, and the Nanopore community was there as well. So I, I, that, that intersection could explode in a really positive way. Those, those are all really great answers. <laughs> I, I love this, but that's, that's my favorite part of this, this season. I'm glad we, we throw this in. So. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, I think the consensus is what I'm, that, that to me would be most exciting to see that the, that we are open group, um, fun loving, we, you know, people, I think there's room for voices there and that, that, that's what the last year really showed. And, um, um, yeah, I, I, right. I'm all tied up in my, my future first day, the first working day of the new year. And I'm like, oh man, is this going to be the year? Or I don't know. It might be 25, it might be 26. I don't know. But at some point this, this thing, this tipping point is going to be reached. Wow. Oh yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited for it as well. Right. And, uh, I'm very excited to see you in Portland and, you know, we'll see your, you received this award and, uh, Geez, Neil, thanks, thanks for um, yeah. starting the year with us. Yeah, yeah well, Ben, I have one last request. Um, since we basically covered all the 360 on this thing, you know, can you give my talk in, in Portland? That would be great. I think you could do a great time. It's in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're not going out the night before. That That's that's. Clear. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, mm. we totally won't go out the night before. <laughs> 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 yeah, it'll be great. No, no, but we will go out the night before, but we will be at your talk. No, there you it is. There, there. We're there together. Yeah, we're, we're grown-ups. We can do that. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. We're yeah, pros. The time zone helps me out there. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. Well, awesome. Thank you, Neil. Yeah, thanks. Um, all right, cool. So this is the part where I read the credits. So the views expressed are solely ours, not our employers or US Hupo. We want to thank US Hupo for sponsoring this season. Johannes for the intro and exit song, Kaylee Kirkwood for the artwork. You can email us at show at gmail.com. Please like, subscribe, stars, thumbs, stuff. And yeah, enjoy. Bye.